Tonight I give you your last martyr story. I think it's particularly appropriate in light of this last letter that we read what we're about to read right now. Because what we're about to read is the martyr story that defines martyrdom. See, when we think about the story of Jesus, we often think about the fact that he saved us, right? That's typically where our mind goes. Jesus went to the cross so that he could save us, which is true. There's no doubt that that's true, although sometimes it is a self-centered viewpoint we have. It's about us. But see, what Jesus also did, and we often don't reflect on enough, is the fact that Jesus went to the cross as a witness to who his father was and to the fact that he would be a true and faithful witness until death to follow in obedience what his father told him to do and to show the character of the father he served. And so tonight, for our last martyr story, we go back to Jesus. I'm reading out of Matthew. Listen to the death. It it is the martyr story. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and they gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him. And then they took the reed and began to beat him on the head. After they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. As they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull, They gave him wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priest also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, he saved others. Can he not save himself? He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he delights in him. For he said, I am the son of God. The robbers who had been crucified him were also insulting him with the same words. And now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. 
And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, they began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, they became very frightened and said, truly, this was the son of God. Many, men, many women were there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. Among them was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus. We thank you for his salvation. We thank you for everything that he offers. But particularly tonight, we thank you for his example as a witness, what it means to be a faithful and true witness. When everyone else fled, when all his disciples were faced with the moment, am I going to have the courage to stand beside my Savior? They all left, and Jesus was alone, the only true witness left in Israel. And Jesus, who we know from what he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, we know he did not want to bear that cup. But he said, if it was your will, Lord, I will do it. And like a faithful and true witness can do, he followed you till death. And we found life because of that death. We've found life because of that resurrection power that only Jesus as the faithful and true witness could have. God, help us to live in that same spirit as we go out from this place tonight and every day for the rest of our lives. Let us be true and faithful witnesses like your son was, filled with the same Holy Spirit that he was filled with, to go out in the world and do the same things that Jesus did so that this world might change its ways and be reconciled to you. That's our prayer, Lord. Help us to do those things tonight and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate it.
Well, tonight, uh, we'll finish up the letters to the churches. This has been like extra crazy tonight. Usually it's only doing it during worship, but anyway, tonight uh, we'll finish the letters to Revelation, finish chapter three. I think, I I don't know if I said this during a sermon, but I'll say it now. I kind of gave people junk, pastor's junk for stopping at the letters. And it's kind of funny that I'm having to eat my words now because I'm stopping at the end of the letters. Anyway, poetic justice, I suppose. But tonight we finish the letters and we finish with the letter at Laodicea. And the letter at Laodicea is hard. It's a hard letter because unlike every other church, there is no commendation. There's nothing going right. They are not faithful. And we end at that place. (laughs) We end Wellspring at that place. We end this series at that place. But in it, we see the, the depth of the graciousness of God. Tonight's sermon is entitled, Be Cast Out. Because being cast out is where Laodicea is as a church. The Lord says in the letter, I am about to spit you from my mouth. I am about to vomit you from my mouth. That's the Lord's word to Laodicea. They're at the end. Every other church, no matter how wrong they're operating, has something to be commended except this church. All six other letters, there's something positive. Many of them, two of them, I I shouldn't say many, but two of them, completely positive, right? Smyrna and Philadelphia, they, they receive nothing but commendation for how they live, how they operate. The rest, at least, is a mixed bag. They're rebuked, but they also have things they're doing well. Laodicea, everything's going wrong. So it starts here. Think about the story I just read to you about Jesus as we read this first verse. Jesus describing who he is. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God says this. Now, Jesus, as we've seen in each letter, Jesus is revealing something about himself to talk about the content of that letter to talk about the content of what he has to say. And what he has to say here is, be prepared to be cast out. So why does Jesus reveal himself this way? Well, he reveals himself as the amen, the faithful and true witness. Why? Because their witness, the way in which they live and proclaim Jesus, is almost non-existent. Even here, Jesus is trying to call them to something better. Remember how I was a faithful and true witness. What is your witness? There's nothing left of it. You are just like the world. There's no difference between you. The amen, that's an unusual title. It's most likely that Jesus here is referring, John as he writes, is referring to a passage and Jesus as he speaks, is referring to a passage in Isaiah 65. But remember, first these words come from Revelation 1. Revelation 1 verse 5. Remember this opening of the letter says, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, 
and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So that's where he's quoting from, from Revelation 1, this who Jesus is to speak to the church at Laodicea. He's the faithful and true witness, the amen, the beginning of the creation of God. This beginning of creation of God is also interesting because of course we think creation, we think like beginning, right? We think of John 1, and the word was with God, right? That's how we think. But look at the parallel in Revelation 1. What's he talking about the beginning of the creation of God? He's actually not talking about being the first prime, like primary importance of the old creation. He's saying he's started the new creation. Look at the parallel. Faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation. Faithful and witness, firstborn of the dead. This is not about him being the priority of creation, though that's true. This is about him starting a new thing. He has begun new creation. It started in him. The firstborn of the dead, the beginning of the creation of God, new creation. What confirms that is Isaiah 65, which I said he's quoting from here. Isaiah 65, because he who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth. And he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my sight. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Now, God of truth. There is a word standing behind truth that is translated. That word is amen. Amen. The God, amen. Only two passages in the entire Bible use amen as a name, right? Usually it's the end of a prayer, right? That's how we still use it. It's the end of a prayer. It's a bless, end of a blessing, something like that. Only two passages use it as a name here in Isaiah 65 and here in Revelation 3. Only two passages in the Bible that use that. That's why it's almost certain John is quoting from Isaiah 65. And it follows the same idea. The amen the beginning of the creation, new creation. And then here, what? The God, amen. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. So the idea behind it is the same. This one, this amen, which if you don't know what that means, by the way, amen is, aman is the Hebrew word for confirming something. So every time you say amen at the end of a prayer, you're saying, I agree. I confirm that. Yes, let it be. Right, it's a confirmation. So here, the amen, the confirmed, the confirming one, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the, of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, there's two interpretations of this part of Revelation, this verse. There's a traditional inter interpretation, which is probably what most of you have heard, which is, if you think of hot, you're thinking of zealous for faith, right? And you think of cold, you're thinking lacking faith or just, you know, pagan almost, right? And if you're hot, you're on fire, right? You're on fire for God. And if you're cold, I mean, you just have no use for him. And that's what God's saying. Either you're cold, you have nothing, or you're hot. But you guys, you're lukewarm. You're wishy-washy. That is worse than even being a pagan, 
Okay, that's the typical interpretation, traditional interpretation. And to be fair, to give it its credence, 2 Peter 2 sounds like it, right? This is what Peter says about those who've believed and backslid. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if they are again entangled in those things and are overcome, their last state has become for them worse than the first It would be better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Now, that's the traditional interpretation. Interestingly, the other interpretation I think is probably more valid But it has to do with some historical knowledge. You have to know something about Laodicea for it to make sense. See, in Laodicea, they were a great city, very well known, very big, but they had a problem, and that was bad water. They didn't have good water. So they actually had to pump water in from other cities. And Hierapolis was well known for hot water. They had hot water. And of course, Hierapolis could use hot water for all kinds of things. And Colossae, also near Laodicea, they had cold water. Refreshing, nice, good to drink. And when Laodicea pumped water from Hierapolis or Colossae, by the time the water got to them, lukewarm. Good for nothing. Not helpful. Bad water. See, in this interpretation, and it's probably more valid, what Jesus is saying is here, not I wish you didn't have any faith or I wish you were on fire. He's saying, I wish you were useful. Cold water has its purposes. Hot water has its purposes. But who likes lukewarm water? We like hot water. It is useful. We can, we can cook things. We can use it for a purpose. Cold water, it's great. It's refreshing. We can use that. But lukewarm water has no purpose. And just like lukewarm water, you're useless. I wish you were either hot or cold and that you could serve a purpose to me. But instead, as it is, you are lukewarm and I will spit you out of my mouth because it's disgusting. It disgusts me. Now that is a harsh rebuke. I will spit you out of my mouth. This is Jesus talking the language of rejection. Okay? A communal rejection. That Laodicea is on the verge of what? Not being a community that that could truly be called the church. They might as well just call themselves the world because they're not functioning in any way like a church. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You will be cast out. Why? Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and I have need of nothing and you do not know that in actuality you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They have zero ability to judge their situation. They're the exact inverse of the church at Smyrna. Right? 
You are materially poor, but you are spiritually wealthy. That's what Jesus says to the church at Smyrna. Here he says, you are materially rich, but you do not understand that the condition of your soul is impoverished. There's no substance there. You are poor and you're blind and you're naked. Here's my advice to you. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Right, that comes from Malachi 3 is a good example. It comes from many places in the Bible, that refining image. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? This is about the Lord. For the Lord is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings and righteousness. He's saying, become pure. All the things of the world have tainted you. They've stained you. They've made you just like them. You look no different. My advice, buy gold that's been refined. Change who you are so that you may become really rich. Yeah, you got plenty of money, but look for true riches. Get white garments so that you may clothe yourself. We've seen that white garment language in several of the letters, right? Clothe yourselves in purity. Come out from the world and be different. Right? Clothe yourself, why? So the shame of your nakedness, the fact that you do not look like a faithful witness, so that that shame will not be exposed. It will not be revealed. And buy eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus is saying, look at all these different problems you have. You're poor, you're blind, you're naked, you're miserable, you're wretched. You're just a mess. And I have everything you need to fix every one of those problems. I have gold. I have garments. I have eye salve. Whatever you need, the resources are found in me, in Jesus. Laodicea, you are looking in all the wrong places to solve your problems when what you need is me. This does not sound like a faithful church. It sounds like a church that's missed Jesus. But even in the midst of that, even at the moment, it sounds like everything is wrong and they're about to be spit out of his mouth. The character of God cannot be denied. (laughs) He tells them, even as you are miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked, I love you. See, don't you understand? I still come to you with a purpose. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Even at this moment, even as I'm tasting what you're like and about to spit you out, you can still change your ways. I will still have mercy. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, 
and will dine with him and he with me. Now it could be several references for that, but I think the one I wanna look at is Luke 12. This is Jesus doing the, the, the Olivet Discourse again, but this is out of Luke. And he's speaking about his return and he gives this parable. He says, you all who are waiting for my return, be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Just like he said, I'm, I'm here. I'm waiting. Don't you get it? Haven't you been waiting for me? Aren't you prepared? I'm right here. Open the door. That's all it takes. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he, that's the master, will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. What a master. What a master to serve his servants. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third, if he finds them so, blessed are those slaves. Jesus says, here I am. Do you not hear my voice? I'm telling you, repent. I'm at the door. All you have to do is open it. Let me in. Be zealous and repent. You can still change your ways as a church. Even at the precipice of of the point where you won't even be considered a church anymore, you can still repent. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus promises them. Jesus promises them. If you can overcome, you can overcome you'll sit down with me on my throne you will reign with me even at this this last moment it seems like the last moments they're even going to be a church because they're just so wicked and worldly they have nothing that distinguishes them from the rest of the world even then Jesus says listen listen to the reward if you can overcome you will sit down with me on my throne just like I sat down with my father on his. But what's it required to do that? How was Jesus sitting down with his father on his throne? Because he was a faithful and true witness. And he's saying to the church at Laodicea, if you can't be a faithful and true witness, you can't overcome. There is no overcoming if you can't be a witness for Jesus. And I don't mean that just in the sense of like street evangelism or something. I mean that in the way you live. If you are not a witness for Christ, if there is nothing that distinguishes you from any person out on the street who doesn't have Jesus, you're not a faithful and true witness. If there's nothing different about you, if there's nothing that that speaks to who Christ is, if the spirit has not truly changed and regenerated your heart, 
you're gonna look just like the world. But those of us who believe, we have that. We have the blessing of the Spirit. We have regeneration. We have all the gifts that God has to offer. All the blessings of Christ are found in us now. We have that. We have everything we need to be empowered to be faithful and true witnesses, even to death, just like Jesus. Jesus says, if you can't be a faithful and true witness, you can't sit down on my throne with me. I sat down on my throne, I sat down on my father's throne by being a faithful and true witness. And in the same way, if you're a faithful and true witness, you can sit down on my throne with me. And for some of us, probably most of us, let's admit it, we might have a story like John. Live until he's 90 and live out his, all his days as a witness. That's a powerful witness. Some of us might have a different call. Some of us might have to have the call of death like Jesus himself had. That's, that's okay too. I hope if anything, after reading these martyr stories week after week after week, you can see that giving up your life for Jesus is not a rare thing. It's not something that, that people just did in those days. You know, It's not just something they did in the olden days. It's not something that has ever stopped. From the first day Jesus, he was a martyr, to, to Stephen, the first church martyr, Literally till the present day. There's probably people being killed right now in the name of Jesus. I should say for the name of Jesus. Because they are true and faithful witnesses. And that's the reality. That's what we're called to. No matter who we are, no matter what station, no matter whether we have a grisly end or live out our days and die of old age, whether we live in this country or some other country, no matter where we are, no matter what we, we are at, whether we're under an impressive government or if we're living in freedom and liberty, it doesn't matter. The issue is, are you a true and faithful witness? And when the time comes, when the moment comes that it could cost you something, are you still a witness? Because it's easy to say it when you live like we live. How oh, I'd be a witness. But when it actually costs something, are you still gonna be a witness? Are you still gonna be faithful and true to the Savior who bought you with his own blood? To the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Will you be faithful to him when that moment comes where it costs you something, even if it's not your life? when it might cost you something, when it might cost you the business deal, when it might cost you, you know, the home, when it might cost you a relationship, are you still willing to be a witness? We tend to think in grandiose terms, you know, we think about life and death, those things, but there's all kinds of moments we're presented with all the time where we can choose to be faithful and true or not. those moments that end up defining the life and death situations. The Spirit is with us. 
The Spirit walks with us. And that same Spirit that was at work in Jesus, helping him, guiding him to be the true and faithful witness, that same Spirit resides in us to do the same. We can do it. So even in the midst of being cast out, there's still hope for the church at Laodicea. There's still a chance for them to prove to be zealous and repent. As we close tonight, getting ready to close, I know it's a short one, especially for me. Just want to thank you. Thank you for all uh, the true and faithful witnessing that you've shown to me in my life. Thank you for being stalwarts of the faith in a culture that it is really easy to be like the world. I mean, it's it's easier for us to be like the world than it is for Christians in oppressed countries, truly oppressed countries. Like they get it. But for us, man, there's nothing to stop us from becoming just like the world. It would be so simple. It would, you know, there's no cost. And yet, the people in this room have continued to be an example of what it means to live faithfully and choose to be like Jesus. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that example. And I'm grateful that I've had the chance to, to preach God's word to you for these last two and a half years. This has really been my honor and, and my privilege to do so. And I hope, uh, I hope I've done my, my part to be a true and faithful witness to these scriptures, of which so many, so many saints bled and died for these to be passed on to us. I mean, so many blood and died just for them to be written down in the first prophet, just to be written down in the first place. I mean, think about it. How, how, many, how many of the prophets were murdered? All of them is the answer. <laughs> All of them were killed. Jesus even says that to, to Jerusalem, right? <laughs> Who of the prophets did your fathers not murder? Right, he says that. Of course, they're furious. Jesus says that. I mean, It cost them everything to write these scriptures. And even beyond that, William Tyndale and John Huss and all these these guys that that translated the Bible to bring it to us in English. I mean, countless blood has been spilt and shed so that we can have these scriptures and the freedom to read them and to read them in our own tongue, to read them in the quiet of our home, not just in the setting of the church. All that to say, it's been a costly endeavor for these to come down to us. And like I said, it's been my privilege to be able to teach, teach them to you in the way that I have. Thank you for all being a part of it. I'm grateful to have done, done this with you. And uh, I hope, if there's anything to leave behind, I hope that you will continue to explore and search the scriptures um, and learn to love them. Because I, I love the scriptures. And, and I want you to love them too. 
They are, not only are they holy, which is so true, I mean, they are the holy word of God, but they're also just the beautiful, most beautiful literature that humankind has ever created. The pinnacle of human creation, expressed in the words of books like Job, what it means to suffer righteously, in the gospels and the story of who Jesus is and the parables, I mean, it's the greatest book that's ever been written. I just mean that from a, even a human standpoint. And I hope that you guys will continue to love them. Continue to love them and search them and explore them and continue to hear the voice of God in them. I love you. Thank you. Tyler, will you come close us in a prayer?